Our text tonight is out of Jeremiah chapter 23, the Lord our righteousness. Starting verse 23, we're not going to do the whole chapter tonight, uh, but starting verse 1, Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, says the Lord. And the majority of this chapter has to do with these shepherds that destroy and scatter the sheep. That's not the section we're going to look at tonight, but it does lead into what we're going to be discussing tonight. Verse 2, Thus says the Lord God of Israel against the shepherds who feed my people, who've scattered my flock, driven them away, and not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for the evil of your doings, says the Lord. And again, we'll get into that in another week what God uh, thinks of and how he will deal with these shepherds and some more about these type of shepherds and how the scatterers of the sheep are still existent today, nothing new under the sun. But that again will be for another week. But this leads into the next text, verse 3, But I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them and bring them back to their folds, and they shall be fruitful and increase. I will set up shepherds over them who will feed them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, nor shall they be lacking, says the Lord. It's a wonderful promise. And so down through the ages, from the beginning of time, people have been scattered and chased away from the Lord by false shepherds, false leaders, hypocritical believers, so-called believers, who haven't rightly represented the Lord and have done more of scattering and chasing away little lambs than drawing them to him. But God promises that he will gather all the sheep back into their folds. And Yeshua said, I have many sheep that are in many folds but I will gather them together and there will be one fold with one shepherd and he is the good shepherd that leads his flock, that takes care of us, that leads us in good passages, in good pastures, who takes us to still waters, who removes the weeds and, and feeds us good food and who cares for us and carries us through our problems and our struggles. Well, then some say, well, if that's the case, then how come there is still calamities and heartaches that happen to God's sheep? How come we still go through problems? How come I'm going through the problem in my life today? How come I had to go through the, the difficulties that I've been through in my life? Why are other good people experiencing hardship? Well, because there is a devil. There is a wolf in sheep's clothing who masks a raid who goes forth and destroys and causes heartache and damage, who plants weeds and tares among God's pasture, among God's grass and among God's feed, and tries to do everything he can to divide and to spoil and disrupt God's flock and to scatter God's flock. The dragon, the wolf, the devil. But he will have his end, and God will gather his people, and God will heal the wounds of his sheep, the wounds of his people. And God is faithful 
That even as one gets scattered, he goes forth and he looks for that one. She says he leaves the 99 and he goes looking for that one. And he is looking for us. He left heaven. He came down to this earth in search of that one. And that one is you. That one is me that he comes for, that he comes looking for. All beaten and hurt and bruised and bleeding and with burrs in our wool and scars on our body. He comes to take us, to pour the oil upon us, to heal our wounds, to heal our souls, to heal our internal hurts, to heal our minds, and to draw us into his fold, into his safety, surrounded by him. Wonderful, wonderful promises of God's word. And so if we're looking, if we're seeking, we're wandering, if we feel lost and confused and don't know where truth is and don't know what is right and don't, don't understand why troubles happen and, and, and can't understand why we're going through and struggling through life, come to the Good Shepherd. Surrender to Him. Cry out to Him. His sheep hear His voice and follow Him. Listen for His voice. Open His word. Let Him talk to your soul. Let him lead you in the way everlasting. Let him carry you if necessary to take you into his promised land. Wonderful promises. Verse 5, And the days are coming, says the Lord. I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. Well, this is a wonderful promise as well. That the days are coming, it's prophesying in Jeremiah's time, it's still time coming. That he's going to raise from David. So from the seed of David, from the line of David, a Davidic line, a branch, a shoot, out of the line of David. A child will be given unto us. A son will be given, a child will be born, will come forth. Emmanuel, God with us, from the seed of David, from the line of David, from the root of Jesse, will come forth a branch of a righteous branch, one that is good, one that does right, one that is right, one that is upright, and he shall be king, and he shall reign as king, and he shall prosper and execute judgment. He will deal with the wolf, he will deal with the false shepherds who hurt the flock and scatter the flock. He will deal in righteousness in this earth. Amen. Now to some that's confusing, right? Well, if that's the Messiah, and if he has come as the son of David and the tribe of David and the lineage of David, which he fulfills, then how come he didn't prosper? How come he didn't execute right judgment? How come he didn't execute righteousness in the earth? How come there wasn't peace on earth and goodwill towards men? Why are there still problems since that time? Well, we just read the text. He's a shepherd as well. And not only is he a shepherd, he came as a sheep himself. 
in order to save the sheep he became a sheep to be able to lead the sheep all sheep are pretty good at following a shepherd and listening to a shepherd's voice they understand the boss of the other sheep much better and so he became a sheep to know what it's like to be a sheep to know what it's like to be a lamb and then to be able to lead us in the right way so he's many things he is the lamb he is the shepherd and he will be king not only is he Mashiach ben David, Messiah, son of David. He is also Mashiach ben Yosef, the Messiah, son of Joseph, the suffering one, the one who was called, the one who had dreams, the one who was told that the others are going to bow down to him, the one who would one day be second in command of Egypt and, and the savior of the family and of, that, uh, of Egypt and the surrounding area. But first he had to become the rejected Joseph. First he had to be rejected by his brothers, thrown into a pit, attempted to be killed, sent over to Egypt, thrown into prison from slavery and then into prison. So the Messiah comes as Joseph first and suffers with us. And as the lamb to make atonement for us, the becoming the lamb, not only to lead us in the right way, but to be the lamb that is then taken into the sanctuary and to be served up as the sacrifice for us. Not only is the lamb of God, but the lamb slain for us, the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So before he could become David king, he had to first be the lamb. He also had to first be the suffering Joseph. And even David, before he becomes king, had to suffer and be rejected by his father, by his brothers, by the king Saul. Chased and accused and attempted to be killed. And sent out into the wilderness and rejected by men before he could become king. And so same with the Messiah as well. The Messiah couldn't come as king the first time, at the first advent. The Messiah had to come as the suffering servant. The Messiah had to first come as the babe. The Messiah had to first come as the lamb. The Messiah has several roles. He's the Messiah, he's the Mashiach. And Mashiach means anointed one. And so the Messiah has to be anointed. The Messiah has to be anointed as those that were anointed. As king, kings were anointed, but not only kings were anointed. The prophets were anointed as well, and the priests were anointed, the Kohanim were anointed, and the prophets. Each one was anointed, and he needed the anointing of all three. He's all three wrapped into one, just not at the same time. Three different segments. He came as the prophet, and most of the prophets were rejected and killed. But giving a message and a warning. Now reigns as 
priest, Kohen Gadol, Mashiach ben Aaron, Messiah, son of Aaron. But he will come as king as well. So first the text was of the shepherd. And now the text, verse 5, of the king of David, from David's line. So he will come as king, and he will reign, and he will execute judgment. But in order to execute judgment, he had to become one of us. Right? In our jury system today. Why we go before a jury, and they have to be of our peers. So he could not rightly judge us unless he became one of us to understand us and to know the battle and to know the suffering so that no one could say in Judgment Day, well, hey, you don't know what I went through. You don't know what it was like. How dare you sit in judgment of me? You've never been through where I went through. But he did. He became flesh and dwelt among us and went through our sufferings with us and continues to go through our sufferings with us, touched with the feelings of our infirmities, experiencing our troubles and our trials, our sores and our pain, and leading us through, and rose above it, and will be able to judge righteously, and judge the false shepherds, judge the accuser of the brethren, Judge the destroyers. And he will execute judgment. And then he will bring in righteousness on this earth. Well, not this earth as it is today. He will create a new heavens and a new earth and bring in righteousness there. Because he has to destroy all the corruption of this earth as well and everything in it, including all the evil angels and all the garbage throughout. And he will reign will execute his judgment, not only upon the people, but upon the land and upon the earth. And he will bring in righteousness in this earth and make all things new once again. Bring back the Garden of Eden all over again. Eden restored because he is the branch. The branch of David. And as David said, the Lord said to my Lord, so not only is a branch of David But he was before David. Not only is he Abraham's seed, Abraham saw his day, and he was before Abraham. Amazing thing. The creator of Adam and Eve becomes the second Adam. The one who leads Abraham and guided Abraham and made promises to Abraham becomes a child of Abraham. The one who raised David up and strengthened David and held his hand and gave him songs and raised him to greatness and convicted him and rebuked him and forgave him also comes from his line. My Lord said to the Lord, Almighty. So he's before David and he comes through David. Amazing God that we have who's big enough to create us and bring all things into existence, but willing to come down to our level and meet with us, tabernacle with us.
dwell with us. Oh, the beauty of a God. Right? We think highly of those who go to Calcutta as missionaries and minister to the people there. Get down to what's considered in some eyes and minds the lowest degradation that a person could experience and the sadness and the filth and forced prostitution and poverty and imagined here in America. When we think of those people that are willing and able to go there and minister to these people, to sacrifice the comforts of this world, to go and minister to them. But how much more did our God sacrifice in leaving the throne of heaven, in leaving the being surrounded by the angels, leaving the Father's side and coming to this earth to be born in a filthy, dirty, smelly cow stable filled with bull blank to become one of us. To be rejected for us. As he says of us, Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will raise you up. He doesn't tell us to do anything that he did not first do. He humbled himself down to the lowest level. And even the death, even the death of being accursed of God for us. Experiencing the eternal death for us. Lowered himself beyond low. So that he could be raised up and become the branch of David the righteous one who is able to reign as king, who prospers eternally, who executes judgment and brings righteousness to this earth, who sets things straight, who lifts up all who've been cast down and cast down all those who oppress. That is a great God that we have. A God above all gods, a just God, a righteous God, a branch of righteousness, all good and all right at all times, even when he permits us to go through horrible sufferings and sadness, because he'll make all things right. Verse 6, in his days, in the days of this king of righteousness, in his days Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell safely and he will be called the Lord our righteousness. What a wonderful phrase. The Lord our righteousness. Yud Hey Vav Hey for the Lord. Tadakinu. The Lord our righteousness. Not only is He the branch of righteousness, He is the Lord our righteousness. He becomes the righteousness for us. Not only is he all right and he all good and he all just, 
in all fair and every way. But then he says he wants to impute that righteousness onto us. He is the Lord, our righteousness. We who know no righteousness and have no righteousness of ourselves, he becomes our righteousness for us. And he imputes that righteousness of his onto us. This is beyond human comprehension. That a God who is all God, who is all good, who is all powerful, who is almighty, who humbles himself to be with us, who suffers with us, who suffered the pain of this earth with us, and is exalted back to heaven, is willing to impart his character onto us. to give us what he is, to bestow that upon us freely without price. Thus, he does not demand that we get to heaven through our own righteousness, that there's something that we have to pay, that there's something that we have to procure, that there's some level of goodness that we have to reach in order to go to the next level and reach nirvana, through successive attempts. But he becomes our righteousness for us. Not just imputing his righteousness onto us, but coming inside us and living out that righteousness through us. The Lord, our righteousness. The amazing God not only came here for us, but came and took us into himself. Not only comes and lives in us, but take us into himself. And we become embodied in him. Not only Messiah in us, but us in Messiah. And he absorbs us into himself. And then receives the just payment and punishment that we deserve. And he takes us with us into the grave, into the tomb, and destroys that carnal nature and buries it away with all its hurts, with all its pains, both have been placed upon us and that we've placed upon others. And then as we are still in him, he then comes up out of the grave. And he gives us a new life. And then he comes into us and lives in us and becomes our righteousness. The Lord, our righteousness. Thus, any good that we do, any good that comes out of anyone in humanity, it is because the Lord is our righteousness. And as we enter into heaven and the beings there greet us and welcome us and want to hear our story and ask, how is it that we gained entrance here? We will say, because of the Lord. And only because of the Lord. 
because of what he did for me and for us and because of what he did through me and for me. He is my righteousness. He is not only the righteousness that was imputed to us, given to us freely, but also the righteousness that is imparted into us. He lived out the righteous life for us so that he could die the righteous sin for us, that he could die as the righteous one, the blameless one, but receive the punishment for us. But, and imputing his righteousness onto us so that the record books in heaven read his righteousness over us in place of us who, again, we who knew no good, who could do no good, know no righteousness. He imputes his righteousness onto our name. He counts it as his. He becomes our intercessor. He takes our account upon him. He becomes our co-signer. And since we can't pay the debt, he pays the debt for us and places his name on the account for us. Imputes his righteousness upon us without us before we were born. And then he imparts his righteousness into us while we are alive. Bringing his righteousness into our hearts, into our minds, and then through the Holy Spirit, imparting that righteousness out of us. And so when anyone compliments us on any good deed that we do or any talent that we manifest, we're able to say, it's not I, but it is the Lord, my righteousness. It is his righteousness that he lived out through me. He is the Lord, and it is his righteousness that you see. And it is his goodness that is manifested through me. How are you able to have victory? How are you able to stop doing that? How are you able to change? The Lord is my righteousness. The Lord has given me victory. The Lord has changed my mind. The Lord has changed my desires. The Lord has changed my heart. He lives in me. Not I, but Messiah. He is the Lord, our righteousness. Righteous for us and righteous in us. Righteous before us and righteous with us. Always his righteousness. Always his glory. Always his honor. Always his power. It sets us free. Instead of trying and laboring to do good, laboring to do right, his righteousness comes forth out of us. And since he is the branch of righteousness, he always does righteous. As we allow him to live in us, in each area of our life, over every decision of our life, he then reigns in righteousness over us. And since he lived a righteous life, an obedient life, he lives out that obedience out of us as well. Then, And that obedience becomes a joy instead of a chore. It becomes part of our nature. It becomes natural for us instead of a burden. And then we love his law instead of running from his law because it's his 
exact righteousness that is lived out in us. Let this mind be in you that was in Yeshua the Messiah. He comes into us with his mind. His righteousness. His thoughts. His desires. And just as it was easy for him, not so easy, but that he did, that he left heaven and came to this earth seeking for each lamb, seeking to save that which is lost. When we are filled with him, his righteousness lives out of us. And we are willing to leave all for him and to go and to seek and to save that which is lost. Because he is the Lord, our righteousness, living out his life today on this earth. He came as Emmanuel to be God with us. But he doesn't want to leave this world without him. So he continues to tabernacle here in the flesh through us. He now wants to dwell in our flesh and tabernacle in our flesh. Not just in the flesh he used, the body of Yeshua that bled, that died, that was pierced, that was beaten, that was wounded. That flesh is gone. And so he wants to inhabit our flesh and continue to be the branch of righteousness, the Lord, our righteousness, in and out of us. What an amazing calling, what a high calling he does. He raises us up and lifts us up and lives out his life out of us. Thus he is able to seat us at his throne with him because he raises us up. He is the Lord, our righteousness. So we are able to stand there with him. You know, if I tried to get into some fancy rich person's club or, you know, golf course or something like that, and, and they asked me, what are you doing here? I'd say, well, I don't know. <laughs> I better leave. You know, I'd have to. But if I came in with a guest, as a guest of someone who was a member of that club, I can say I am here because of him. I'm here because of his membership. I'm here because of his righteousness. I'm here on his coattails. I am here on parts of him because of his ticket. So he brings us up to his throne and raises us up into heavenly places in him and with him. No longer the rejected and despised of this earth, but he raises us up to sit with him at his throne with him, making us judges and priests with him, Levites and Kohanim with him. He raises us up because he is the Lord, our righteousness. And he brings us into fellowship with him and partnership with him and unity with him. And just as he became one with us, he now makes us one with him. Just as he became everything that we are, he makes us everything that he is. And raises us and lets us sit with him. And we become co-heirs with him co-inheritors with him. We might not be the natural born inheritor, 
but he adopts us and then shares, equally shares his inheritance with us. And what did he inherit? When he was raised, what did he inherit? What inheritance did he receive? The universe, the world again, and the entire universe, and to sit again at the right hand of the Father. And he received all, all power, all dominion, all authority has been given over to him. And he makes us co-heirs with him, co-inheritors of the inheritance with him. Equal shares, whatever he gets, we get an equal share as well. Co-heirs in his righteousness, inheriting it from him and with him, united with him. The Lord, the Lord, our righteousness. And when does an inheritor inherit the will? When someone dies, he's already died. We can inherit the inheritance today. We can inherit the righteousness today. We can inherit his character today and now. And thus we sit currently in heavenly places in Messiah Yeshua. So it doesn't matter what people say, it doesn't matter what people do, it doesn't matter what people do to this flesh, it doesn't matter what people do to our reputation, we sit with him if we are surrendered in him. If we are first in him, then he will be in us. If we are fully surrendered, we sit with him continually. And as this beautiful picture depicts, he then clothes us with his righteousness. He covers us with his righteousness. Now this picture is not exactly right. They illustrated that there, the man is in filthy rags, and there he is covering the filthy rags. But better than that, the scriptures tells us, he says, remove the filthy rags off the man. Now they didn't want to paint him naked, you know, so they... <laughs> But God strips us of our filthiness and then covers us with his righteousness. And we are covered and enwrapped at the Lord our righteousness. He becomes our shield. He becomes our protection. He becomes our covering. He becomes our clothing. Not only our ticket to heaven, but our right to heaven. And our prayer shawls, in a little way, symbolize that covering of righteousness. And as we put it on, I say a little quick prayer, Lord, cover me in your righteousness. Cover me in your grace. May I not be seen, but you be seen. Cover me. Hide me under you. Lord, our righteousness. For we are crucified with Messiah. Nevertheless, we live. Yet not I, but Messiah liveth in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in him who loved me and gave himself for me. Amen.
Verse 7, the days are coming. We read this text last week, but from a different chapter, Jeremiah quotes it twice. The days are coming, says the Lord, that I will no longer say, as the Lord lives, who brought up the children of Israel from the land of Egypt, but as the Lord lives, who brought up the descendants of Israel from the north and from the countries where they were driven, they shall dwell in their own land. No longer just coming out of Egypt to any earthly promised land with rocks and rocks and rocks. But the eternal promised land that he delivers us. So the no longer, we'll say, as the Lord lives who brought us the children out of the land of Egypt, Passover will lose its significance and be replaced with a greater significance. That doesn't mean we shouldn't remember it each year. But it's been superseded by something even greater. Not just coming out of Egypt, but coming out of Babylon. Coming out of the confusion of this world, coming out of the sin of this world, being delivered by his righteousness, by being delivered by him, and in him, he becomes our righteousness. And he delivers us from Babylon to the new Jerusalem to the eternal promised land. And that's why we will observe Passover this week, a wonderful, powerful, powerful illustration of God's deliverance. And we see it firsthand, step by step, his whole deliverance in our lives. How we go from being filled, covered with filthy rags to being covered in his righteousness. And a visual taste test experience. But even that is superseded by the greater deliverance. The one points to the next. The one foreshadows the next. And that is why, while it is good for us to remember the Passover and important for us to remember the Passover on a yearly basis, as we remember God's deliverance, we will not be keeping the Passover this year. We didn't keep it last year. No one kept it last year. No one will keep it this year. No one on this earth will keep the Passover this year. For in order to do that, we have to fulfill what the Bible says in order to keep the Passover, which would mean we all have to go to Jerusalem this year, which is fine with me. We have to kill a lamb. And there has to be a temple for it to be placed at. And we have to fulfill exactly what the scriptures say regarding keeping the Passover. But that temple service has been superseded by a greater sacrifice, by the Lamb of God. And thus we will come a time, and the time has come, that they will no longer say, as the Lord lives who brought up the children of Israel from the land of Egypt, but as the Lord lives who brought up the descendants of Israel from the north, from Babylon. And that is what we celebrate. That he has delivered us from Babylon. That he has delivered us from the confusions of this world, the problems of this world, the bondage of the world, the slavery of this world, the captivity of this world that has held us. He has set us free. 
And we live in Him and walk in Him. And rejoice with Him as we travel upward and onward to the eternal promised land, taking others with us and inviting them along the path and all the way to the heavenly courts. As we pray together, if you're experiencing suffering, we're still dealing with the memories of suffering that you've experienced. And you want to lay that at his feet and allow him to be the burden bearer, to carry the sin, to carry the sorrow, whether you brought the sin on yourself or brought it upon someone else and you're bearing the weight of guilt, or tragedies have been placed upon you that it's still haunting you, and you want to surrender it into him and let him carry it away. Let him carry it into the tomb. In a moment when we pray, just let go of it and let him take it and abide in him. Rest in him. And let the past die in him. And be resurrected into newness of life. If tonight it applies to you today that there's some area that you know that he is not the Lord of your life. Maybe many areas he is, but maybe there's one area, one area lacking that you've not allowed him to be the Lord your righteousness over. Some area that you're still trying to do it in your own strength, still trying to gain that victory over that habit, and maybe not even trying that hard. And you want to surrender that to him and let him be the Lord of that area of your life. Let him gain the victory for you. Let him be raised up and exalted as the Lord, your righteousness. In a moment when we pray, surrender that area to him and let him be exalted in you. If today you want to grab a hold of that promise, of that inheritance with him, of his righteousness in your life, of him dwelling in you and through you and out of you, raising up that righteous branch, bringing a restore, restoration and renewal in your life, and empowering you to live right, to live righteously, to do justly, to walk humbly before your God. If you want him to come in and fulfill his will in your life, to give you victory over every area, to make you a missionary for him, to lead you in the way everlasting, and to use you in bringing other people there. As we pray, let him and invite him and ask him and give him permission to embody you and to become Emmanuel in you. If there's some area of Babylon that you're still living in, some area of sin, some area of confusion that you want deliverance out of, and you want to come out of Babylon, or that you want to come out of Egypt, 
and come into his glorious light and walk into his eternal promised land and begin experiencing that eternity today, that joy today, that release today, that title, child of the king, child of God. Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto you and me, that you and I are called sons and daughters of God. We want to accept that title and accept that inheritance. As we pray, thank him for it. If any of those areas apply to you or some other area in your life, as we pray, give him permission to hold your hand and to walk you in his ways. Our Lord and our God, King of the universe, the righteous branch, thank you for having your eyes upon us at all times, never leaving us nor forsaking us, never letting us go. Thank you for being our Lord, for being our God, and for being our righteousness. Fulfill your will in our lives and whatever area applies to us. Tonight, whatever you're speaking to us about, fulfill it in our hearts and in our lives. Thank you for being our Lord and the Lord our righteousness. Use us individually and use us corporately as a congregation to shine your light and to be representatives for you. In Yeshua's holy name, amen.